I was looking at uh, this very passage that Courage read out to us on parent-child relationships with a group of young adults from Mediterranean, Middle Eastern backgrounds in their early 20s. And my wife was putting the kids to bed in our house, which was very small, had thin walls. And one of the kids decided to have a temper tantrum uh, to the point where her, she was on the bed with her feet banging against the wall and shouting out, I hate you! While we're reading in the Bible, do not provoke your children to anger. <laughs> it can be difficult being a parent, don't you think? When, you're, when your kids are young, you're physically tired. When they become teenagers, you're emotionally tired. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. <laughs> and let's face it, every family is dysfunctional at some level. Look at the families in the Bible. Man, it's hard to see one that doesn't have brokenness in it. But some families are just downright toxic and abusive. I had a friend of mine and he had to pull a shotgun on his dad because he was molesting his two sisters. I mean, it, gets re- it can get really bad. And some of you have come from families like that. And I really want to direct you to our Compass Ministry because those wounds run deep and need to be ministered to very thoughtfully. And you actually need to wisely apply what I'm saying because it's not a straight application if you come from a toxic family. You know, some of us have come to Dubai to care for our families. Some of us have come to Dubai to escape our families. <laughs> I won't get you to put up your hands right now. (laughs) And I know in a passage like this, it's very easy to make you feel guilty, especially you young mums out there because you're on very little sleep anyway. Uh, So I'm really praying that we come to this most tender of topics, our family relationships and our family of origin, that we come in leaning into the grace of God. I was so thankful for the way in which Tim and the music team led us into such a beautiful reminder of the mercies of God that we've been chosen, forgiven and adopted into God's family. Now, I know we're not all parents here, but many of you one day will be, so tune in. But we've all had parents, have we not? And we are all children, um, whether our parents have passed away like mine or not. And so we're really asking the question, what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit as a parent in Christ and as a child in Christ? What does it mean to, in God's great plan, to bring all things under Christ's Lordship as it plays out in our family and my particular role in that family? And so the Apostle Paul picks up the specific instructions in chapter 6, verse 1. But what you don't want to do is forget all the other stuff. God has said about people, including, you know, love and so forth. So this isn't the first word to children. This is just the specific word to children. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, what do we say together? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, that's very interesting. In the Greco-Roman world, um, only male adults who were free were addressed directly in letters. Did you know that? So that now Paul is addressing children in the congregation tells you this. There is a place and a space and a voice for every person in the church of God. That, that alone is a radical statement. The second radical thing about it is this, that this passage assumes that children, five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, can have a personal relationship with Jesus in their own right. 
When, when Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, he's using union with Christ language. He's assuming that they too can respond to Christ. So the children of our church are not the future of our church. In Christ Jesus, they are the church. In fact, right now in the children's program, they're actually churching right now. And we, what we have here is that obedience to Jesus may, is played out in terms of obedience to our parents. Um, Jesus is saying, if you can't obey and honour them for their sake, I know you can do it for my sake. Whenever I see in the Lord, that's really what Jesus is saying. If you can't do it for them, I know you can do it for me because you know I die for you while you are my enemy. And, uh, I, and that's what I love about walking with Jesus because every relationship now is no longer just me and them. It's me, them, whether it's husband, wife, children, parents, co-worker, me, them, and Jesus. Two's company, three's even better. And this is not a new teaching. It's grounded in God's timeless Ten Commandments. Look at verses 2 and 3. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, you notice that both parents are to be honoured, mother and father. And that's why parents need to always come together. I sometimes think it doesn't so much matter whether parents are, are kind of, whether they're heavy on discipline or slightly lighter on discipline. What actually matters is that they're working together. Mum and dad are to be honoured. Even if your parents are divorced as best you can, you try to honour both. Even, get this, even your in-laws, <laughs> your spouse's parents. <laughs> Less with the mother-in-law jokes, more with the honouring. Maybe one or two mother-in-law jokes are okay. Uh, and, uh, and it's good for our church, it's good for our children, it's good for our society. You know, this is the fifth commandment, but it's the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. And it said it may go well with you on this earth. Now, what does he mean there? I think what he means is when children honour parents, it results in healthy families, which then produces societies that are run well. And we know that again and again, healthy families, healthy communities. Do yourself a favour. Honour your parents is what God is saying. And this commandment speaks to all ages. So you're thinking, hey, I'm 45. It's got nothing to do with me. Oh, yeah. Whether you're five or 55, this is a word for all of us. And you can't, oh, I, I'm mindful that most of us have got our parents, they're either passed away or they're on the other side of the earth. And you can't honour parents that you're not making any contact with. Uh, and so it might be through texting, a phone call, Zoom. Keep the relationship going. There was this sad statistic I came across. Steve Bidoff is a very famous, he's not a Christian, but a very wise psychologist. And he, he talks about in his book, The New Manhood, he says this, from his experience of 100 men, he says 30 are not speaking to their fathers. 30 have a prickly relationship with their fathers. 30 only speak out of duty. And 10 men have fathers who they admire. Wow. Gentlemen. We've got a lot of work to do. We want to be the kind of men that one day our children want to enjoy spending time with us and being with us. Now, I know we come from different cultures and different families. 
Uh, and I know it gets kind of played out. Honouring your parents does get played out differently. So, for example, my wife's family, she's sort of Anglo-Aussie, and they're kind of slightly more disengaged family. So, uh, my wife's parents are now passed away, but if Sandy contacted her mum once a month, that would have been plenty for her mum. Um, Whereas I come from Maltese stock. Wow, if I did not sit at the table and eat with my mum once a week, I was dead. I was gone. I was disinherited. <laughs> that was not going to be an option, Regalia. And honouring involves making provision for your parents. In 1 Timothy 5.8, the Apostle Paul says this. In 1 Timothy 5.8, next slide, it says this. Anyone who does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, is what? He has denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. That's what the Pharisees were doing in the time of Jesus. They were neglecting the care of their own family and boy, did he get stuck into them. I want to honour you today, whether you're online or in this room or in Platinum. If you're sending money back to the home country and taking care of family, great will be your reward. (laughs) Well done, brothers and sisters, because I know that's hard. It's hard sometimes with some jobs here making ends meet and that you're doing that as well, I want to honour you in the name of Christ. Now, some need to learn, some of us, you know who you are, need to get the, the importance of honouring parents. Okay, you know who you are. And some of us need to get the idea that Jesus outranks my parents. See, there's two truths there. Look at Matthew 10, verse 37. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother, what? More than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is? Now, you know what he's doing? Jesus saying, I'm not going to allow you to turn the gift I have given you, your parents or your children, and turn them into an idol. Do not do that. God has entrusted a family to you. It might be a great family. It might be a lousy family. The call for us is to steward, but to not turn them into idols. I knew one man from fellowship. I was talking to him some months ago, and he was about to get married, and his parents said to him that they want him to sign a polygamy option. And basically, he he was marrying someone from his tribe, but not from his village. And so his parents wanted number two wife to come from his village. And, uh, well, he did the right thing. He called in his pastor uh, from his village uh, to speak to them because they claimed to be Christian. And he politely, respectfully declined his parents' wishes. Why? Because Jesus outranks his parents. Very important rule. Now, the, I think what's even harder than that is the next point, that our marriage partners outrank our parents. And if you're not married yet, you've got to be very clear and make sure you have conversations with your, your boyfriend, girlfriend or fiancé on this issue. Look what the Bible says in Genesis 2, because chapter 2, we've already hit God's teaching on marriage. And God says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Seriously, in 32 years of being a pastor, I don't know how many marriages have been sacrificed 
on that principle. That is to say, sacrificed on the altar of needing a parent's approval so much that they're prepared to put their spouse, their husband or wife, number three in their life. And it may or may not lead to the end of the marriage, but it certainly leads to the death of the marriage. So I plead with you, be very clear. Your married partner functionally becomes number one and outranks your parents. I'm not saying you neglect your parents, but you need to get the order right. A man will leave his father and mother. There's a shift in authority, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. I knew this one great mum, and uh, her son was married to a lovely Assyrian woman, and she would forever sabotage her son's wife. I don't think she did it consciously, uh, but she was so desperate to manipulate and, uh, and stick her nose into that marriage to the point where she would get herself sick to the point where she was in hospital to leverage off that to get them to do whatever she wanted them to do. Anyway, I said, don't worry. Wait till the kids come. And when the kids come, you tell her, if you keep doing that, you're not going to see your grandkids. You've got to stop that kind of behaviour. And hey, magically, it stopped overnight. Because <laughs> sometimes you have to manage a foolish parent in the process. Um, and the thing about being a grandparent, you'll walk over cut glass to get to your grandkid. It's a very good lever. I'll just suggest that to you at some point. I had a friend of mine. He said something beautiful about grandparenting. He said, he said if I knew being a grandparent was so good, I would have bypassed being a parent and gone straight to being a grandparent. <laughs> And how we honour our parents is really, it doesn't look the same when you're five or 55, does it? So, you know, I, when my son was five, I told him when he was to go to bed. But I don't want him as a 33-year-old man calling me up and saying, hey, Dad, is it all right if I stay up till two in the morning? That would be weird. That'd be freaky. It looks differently. And we all at some point need to own our failures with our parents. If you haven't done that, Heck, why don't you do that today? Send them a text. I just want to say I'm really sorry for the way I treated you. I remember when my dad was dying, he was in hospital for about three weeks and my brother and three sisters took turns to stay the night with him. And well, uh, there was one special night. It was just a, it, it had all come together and I'm not sure my dad was fully conscious. So I've got to say that. But there I was and my dad was lying there and I, he had days to live and I started praising God and I started thanking God in prayer for my dad. It wasn't a perfect relationship. I'll talk about that later. But And then I started confessing all my sins to my dad. I just went through my whole life, all the times I had sinned as best I could remember. Then I started confessing all his sins to me. That was good for me too. And I tell you, it's not a bad thing to, to kind of name. And then I just praised God for loving me through my father imperfect as he was. In fact, every Monday, he's passed away. Every Monday, I thank God for loving me through my mum and dad. I don't pray for them because that's not, as Christians, we don't do that. But I thank God for loving me through them. And that's how I continue to honour them even after they've died. Now, all faiths expect children to honour their parents. There's nothing new about. Christians are not unique in that. Where, you, where, you, where we're unique is this. The God we worship sent his son into the world to become a human and become a child with parents that he honoured. I mean, that's amazing. And Jesus perfectly honoured his parents. Do you remember when Jesus, uh, that Jesus was lost and then found by his parents in Jerusalem? 
That it took them a day to work he was lost, I don't know. That's another question. Uh, and then they finally find him. And Mary's a bit upset. You know, she's been worried. And so she kind of rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus rebukes Mary. You know, I had to be, a, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Oh, sorry, son. <laughs> and then we read these words. And I don't know if you've ever noticed them. Luke 2, verse 51. Then he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, Joseph and Mary, parents, and what? Obedient to them. What? The creator of the universe goes home with two people who he created, imperfect human beings, and obeys them. The word is actually submit. It's the first time the word submit is used in the Bible. The greater, by a long shot, is submitting to the lesser. Obedience, submission. These are not dirty words in the Bible. Jesus himself will proudly say, I I want the world to know that I do exactly what the Father tells me to do. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. You know how we often say that? Jesus lived the life we should have lived. What we mean is that includes he perfectly fulfilled the fifth commandment in honouring his parents. I would talk to my kids when they were younger. I'd say, you know, Jesus, when he was seven, he never sinned. Really, Dad? He never sinned. Nope. When he was 12, imagining a sinless seven-year-old, a sinless 12-year-old. I, could, I can't even picture it. And, um, and, and so we, we kind of tell stories about what would that look like? Like, wow, he, he never lied ever. Wow. He never back-chatted his parents. Really? Yeah. He was never sent to his room as a form of discipline. And if he was, it was always mum and dad's fault because he never sinned. They liked that bit. In contrast to Jesus, I did dishonour my father. I, I would curse him. And the fact that I lived on a farm, you know, I could get away with it. I would straddle 10 swear words in a row and somehow memorise them in the reverse order backwards. It was a skill, not a good one. You know, my dad never heard me once because I'm not stupid, right? I would have been in real trouble because he had a temper. So I would, I would curse him. And my dad never once heard me. But you know who did hear me? My father in heaven. And we're all, all of us in Christ Jesus, we're all forgiven for disobeying and dishonouring our fathers. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully obeyed his father all the way to death, even death on a cross. As long as the father loves the son, He loves me. For as long as the Father is happy with the Son, He's happy with me and He's happy with you because our lives are hid with Him. And it's from that vantage point that we get to be parents and children. But children aren't the only ones who struggle with sin. Now Paul flips it to the parents, in particular fathers. Ephesians 6 verse 4. And as I'm going through this talk, I'm very mindful you're probably reflecting on your own experiences and tapping in and thinking, ah, that's what my father should have been like or shouldn't have been like. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. (laughs) Now, again, you notice it doesn't say parents. Fathers specifically are identified here. Now, we know the job of bringing up children is the responsibility of mum and dad, okay? 
But here, the specific responsibility of fathers is highlighted. I'll tell you why. Because God has given to fathers the unique responsibility of reflecting the fatherhood of God. That's why when we botch it up and you know, do it badly, we get in the way of our children understanding the wonder of who our Father in heaven is like. Um, and uh, and I and I got to say, I, I know one psychologist. He said ninety percent of the clients that he sees, the problems that he sees, he can trace back to an either an absent father or an abusive father. We men have an enormous potential for good and for ill. Too many men have handed this role to to their wives and taken a step back. Most churches are noticeably absent of men. You know, in, in UAE, 70% of the population is male or nearly male. Like it's nearly 70, so not nearly male, nearly 70% are male. It's 30%. Like, wow, there's a very imbalanced gender in UAE. So, you know, so guys, if you're wondering where, where I'm going to find a wife from, well, you can say, but the beauty is, or sorry, can I say the problem is, in the church, however, 40% are male. So why is that? Because men constantly fall into the sin and silence of Adam. They take a step back and won't step into the great calling it is to be a Christ-like husband and a God-like father and a faithful child of God. But being absent isn't the only sin of men. Fathers also are not to provoke their children to anger. That's what the word exasperate means in verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, have a look at that. Can we, oh, Father, oh, sorry, I think we need to flip, I think, can we flip over a few more? Uh, next slide, next slide. Can we get to Ephesians 6, uh, verse 4? Fathers do not, no, wrong order. If you could chuck it in reverse, that's right. Fathers do not exasperate your children. I want you to focus in on that verse, not that verse on the screen, that's not the one I'm looking at. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Think about that. That's got to be a misprint. Shouldn't it say, children, don't exasperate your fathers? <laughs> I'm forever, I used to say to my kids, don't make me angry now. <laughs> Whereas my son should have said, dad, don't make me angry now. <laughs> In fact, one time I kind of lost it with my son and he came up. He was only 12 years old and he said, now, dad, do you think you're being reasonable at this point? I said, no, son, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That's why you've got to keep reading the Bible. It never says what you expect it to say. But I tell you what, the Bible is very, very aware of the abuse of power by men. You know, far, husbands, don't embitter your wives. One Peter, that's in Colossians. One Peter, it says, don't be harsh with your wives. Here it says, don't exasperate your children. Masters, don't threaten your slaves. Oh no, God is very aware. He has entrusted a degree of authority to men and he says, you do not blow it, guys. Now, how is it that we can provoke and exasperate our children? I came up with 400, but I'll only tell you about 10. Actually, I want you to close your eyes because I just want to go through them slowly and for you to ponder them. We exasperate our children and you may be thinking about how you were exasperated in the following way. Constantly making and breaking promises. How ungodlike is that? Being inconsistent in the way we set boundaries. What's wrong today is right tomorrow. Punishing our children when we don't have evidence of them being guilty. 
saying one thing as a parent but doing another. Incessant nagging. Conditional love. I love you if you're a good child. Shaming our children in front of their friends or our friends. Never letting them forget their mistakes. Telling them that they're hopeless. Having favourites. Giving them no voice to discuss and even disagree. Treating children like they were property. Using excessive harsh forms of discipline. Disciplining out of rage and anger instead of love. Giving no reasons why you set down rules. Constantly telling your children, you owe me. And friends, can I say, nothing exasperates a child more than a parent who won't say sorry. My wife didn't have a great relationship. She had a good but not a great relationship with her dad. And uh, uh, he was sporty. She wasn't. He was a teacher. She couldn't read probably till she was 11. And one day when she was about 20, he got really convicted. He was a Christian man and he got convicted by the Spirit of God to take, his, to take his daughter, my wife, for a walk when she was 20. And he started talking to her about how he really struggled to relate to her because they had very little in common. And then he started apologising to her from the heart without excuses. I tell you, from that moment on to the day he died, they had a beautiful relationship. Friends, if your parents are alive, it's not too late. To, or your kids are alive and you're still alive. It's not too late to put these things right. And nothing like an apology. It's interesting that years later, actually, as we left Australia six months ago to come to Dubai, Sandy, my wife, is very conscious about you know um, wanting to put things right with her, our own children, and and so she invited them to, uh, and one in particular, to basically have coffee with her. And then she said, "I want you to tell me all the ways I failed you as a mum," and uh, and uh, and our child just started sharing. Stuff that she'd shared before, but it kind of shared it more deeply. And then Sandy basically owned it completely and apologised. And it just brought them together again. But you can't do that if pride is still ruling your life. In the words of another, in the words of a personal trainer, no ego, amigo. That ego of yours and mine gets in the way of being Christ-like, Parents, you know, we need to learn to say, I was wrong, whether we're children or whether we're parents. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Um, love involves teaching our children. Uh, Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, now, again, it's addressed to fathers, not mothers. Why? Probably because Paul knows women are going to instinctively do it and men need to be dragged to do it. 
And it's just the way it seems to be. Now, uh, there's a QR code on the screen uh, coming up and uh, you may want to take a photo of that because my wife has got some resources for parents with children under 12 about how to actually help parents bring their children up in the, in the instruction of the Lord. But can I just say, get into the habit of reading the Bible with your children. Uh, work out the, the age-appropriate Bible for them and we can help you in that. Uh, and then... Learn to read it with them. Make it part of your natural custom. When they're young, usually when they're going to, uh, usually when they're in bed. When they're a bit older, usually around the dining room table. And don't just kind of preach at them. Just kind of have a discussion. What do we learn from this Bible story? Uh, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about Jesus? What don't we understand? What surprises us? Um, let them hear you pray. Uh, ask them about how they're going in their walk with Jesus. Tell them, um, and, and tell them, in fact, whether they want to follow Jesus or not. Uh, don't assume that. Uh, tell them what you've been learning from God's Word, whether it's from reading the Bible or from a Sunday message or 242 group, so that they're seeing that yours is a living faith and expect it to be very messy. It's always messy. And if your kids are not living with you and they're on the other side of the world, it doesn't stop then. We still catch up. We Zoom our grandkids every, every week and we, you know, we... We do show and tell, we do fun things, but we pray with them and, uh, and, uh, and, and you know, sing a song with them or whatever, a Christian song. You know, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes the church of God to raise a child of God. And so enlist the help of others. No one can do your job for you, but you need to enlist the, the, the wisdom of others. And can I say, keep thinking, if they're on the other side of the world, you've got to think about how am I going to disciple my children from a distance because it's possible. Just learn how to do it. Ask for help. And training. If you want to train your children, it means you've got to discipline them. Now, again, I want you to think about how you were disciplined by your parents. In Proverbs 29, 15, we hear these words. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined does what? Disgraces its mother. Now, the point there is not whether you're going to um, you know, use physical discipline. Um, I use the word smack. Smack's not the right word. What was it? Spanking. That's it. Uh, because smack implies abuse. Uh, you, know, you know, there's a big debate whether you, you should spank or not spank your children. I think the real issue is actually more profound than that. The issue is this. Uh, are you going to have consequences to negative behaviour? People learn, children learn from consequences. In fact, we all do. And so when a parent disciplines a child, what they're doing is issuing a small quota of pain for negative behaviour when they're young so that they can learn the lessons so that when they become an adult uh, and life throws what it throws to them, they've actually avoided learning and experiencing a greater quota of pain. That's the purpose of discipline. I experience a small quota of pain when I'm young so I can learn some lessons and avoid a large quota of pain and avoid making bigger mistakes. You know, the first time some children learn about consequences of behaviour is when they're being crash-tackled by a cop and a policeman. Your aim as a parent, you've got to understand this, is not to be your child's best friend. That's not the job of a parent. Now, that will eventually happen when your children become adults. Three of my best friends are my three kids. But I would never speak like that about my grandkids. That's not, an un that's not a healthy dynamic. Your aim as a parent is not to build your self-esteem on how much they love you. That's the curse of modern parenting. And that's why people aren't, aren't disciplining their kids. 
Um, don't be the parent who constantly warns about consequences but never follows through. The child who is not disciplined by their parents is an unloved child because you haven't trained the child to learn self-control. Undisciplined children do not make good friends and good spouses and you play a part in destroying their marriage by not issuing Thoughtful, wise, appropriate, loving discipline. A child needs to learn boundaries. That's how they feel secure. I remember talking to a group of 15-year-old teenagers. And let's face it, when you're 15-year-old, your job is to complain about your parents. That's, that's the job description. <laughs> and they're all, we're around a campfire. And they're all complaining about how their parents will not give them enough freedom And then one boy spoke and said, you know what? I can go out all night, come back at 8 o'clock in the morning, sit at the breakfast table, and my mother is never upset. She never complains. Wow, they said, you've got the best mother in the world. (laughs) And then I always remember what he said. I wished my mum loved me enough to get upset. He took his life five years later. Disciplining is a very loving thing, as long as it's not done harshly and in anger. I remember, uh, oh, can I say, it's so important that you don't discipline a 15-year-old like they're a five-year-old. That is really disrespectful. I like what Dr. Don Carson once said. He, he, He said that when his children became teenagers, him and his wife had a principle, one principle in bringing up teenagers, and it was this. He says, we tolerated no sass or disrespect, but everything else was negotiable. I thought I liked that. We tolerated no sass or disrespect. Still kept the order of relationship. We tolerated no sass or disrespect, but pretty much everything else was negotiable. And friends, can I say everything we do teaches our children? Um, Do your children see your love for Jesus from the heart? Do they see your love for Jesus, people? Or do they see you cutting corners, compromising, lying, gossiping, slandering? Do they see you not forgiving, not apologising? Do they see you not serving in the church of God? Because all of it, you are a living, breathing sermon, much more powerful than what I'm doing right now. You know, our children are really struggling with big questions. That's why I really commend that workshop after this talk at 2.45. And they're asking questions like this. Who am I? What is my purpose in life? Where do I belong? Does anyone want me? And who can I trust? And that's why we need to... See, you can't, you can't be their Jesus saviour. Don't do that. You, you can't be that. When you're out of the room, you're gone. They need someone who's with them 24-7, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Let them know that they are chosen, forgiven, and adopted in Christ Jesus. Tell them, tell them that God loves them and has sealed them with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just want you to ponder these questions because they may never say it this way, but on the next slide, we've got a set of questions that your children are often saying. If we could just move to the next slide, please. Thank you. They're really saying to you, even, and you think about this, you're probably saying this to your parents, do you care enough to know me and enter my world? Do you like me enough to make time for me? Do you love me enough to discipline me even when I'm angry with you? 
Will you trust me enough to share your faith journey with me? And is your love for me unconditional? That is, if I were to say to you, mum and dad, I think I'm gay or I don't believe in Jesus, will you still love me? And I have the first thing out of your mouth is, wherever you land on these issues, I am for you and not against you. Because that's exactly what my God is to me. A God who gave us his best when we were at our worst. A God who doesn't wait for us to climb up to some standard, but comes down to us. A God who did not withhold his one and only son. You know, I, didn't, I love my father. I'm thankful for my father. My father had a short fuse and a quick temper. And I inherited a little bit of that myself, so I'm not complaining. But I, uh, I, I realised the impact of my dad when I heard a man speak. His name is Larry Crabb. He's going to be with the Lord now. And he was one of those guys. He gave a, uh, it was at a conference where he was talking about uh, relationships and, and he just talked about his two sons and his father and his brother. And, and I find, as he was telling, I, I, I never had a conversation with him. But through the five-day conference, I realised he was the father I always wanted. Because by that stage, I was a young Christian and I met Christians who were good on the Bible but weren't good at relationships. Or I met guys who were really good at relationships but no good at the Bible. But finally, I met a man who loved God, loved his word and loved people. And this thing within me just cried out. And I didn't realise, I kind of, for that week, kind of made him my father. But I wasn't aware of it until he drove out of the conference centre and I'm with my then fiancé, now my wife Sandy, and I start crying. And she's looking at me like, this is weird. And I couldn't stop crying for three hours. And then I got in the car. We drove two hours to, uh, her, I think, her parents' place. And I went into a room and cried for another two hours. They were the best tears I've ever cried in my life. It was like 24 years of pain coming out of me. Now, that was a journey that in the end I went to counselling and I came to terms with the fact that I'd, I'd use humour to cover all the pain that, between me and my dad and I needed to come to terms with the fact that I am angry with him and I needed to have that man-to-man conversation with him. But you know what? I couldn't do that until I worked out that God was my father and I entered into the beauty of that relationship which then allowed me to have that conversation. And I really pray and commend that you one day will begin that journey, if you haven't already, to face some of those wounds, face your own failures, face your own sins or the sins of your parents or your children and begin a journey of not pretending anymore. As a Christian, we don't do pretend. And to graciously face things as they are, knowing that I'm loved by my real Father in heaven who loved me so much that he sent his one and only son to die for me and for you while we were enemies. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you that it's not too late. For those of us who have parents who are alive, children who are alive, you have chosen, adopted and washed us clean. And even if our family members have died who we, whose, whose relationship is broken down and we can't fix it up, Our failures have been forgiven and our wounds can be healed by your love. Even though they may not be reconciled with the the parent or child who's passed away. 
And we want to say, fill us with your spirit that we may make a difference with the families that we do have, whether whether they're here in Dubai or overseas. Help us to not be afraid to face our failures, Lord. Help us to not be afraid to face our fears. Help us by your spirit to not f- to be able to face our wounds and to begin to put our life and our families under your lordship. Oh, transform our families for your glory by transforming us. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said, Amen, Amen indeed.